Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disasters, crises, business continuity, COVID, your own well-being, anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, if you wish to be a guest on the show or have us talk about something, please go to the Voice America page. Or if you're on YouTube, leave a comment. Uh, Let me know. You can leave a message. I do return all messages and all emails. And uh, we'll see about getting you on the show or find someone else to come on the show and talk about what you want. And I want to thank everybody at uh, Stone Road and their product, Boast Assessment, for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, BoastAssessment.com allows you to go in and monitor the progress of your own uh, programs rather than uh, high-priced consultants. So thanks to everybody at uh, Stone Road for sponsoring today. If you are viewing uh, the YouTube channel, you will notice and probably uh, be very familiar with uh, my guest this week. Uh, I'm not even going to go through the big introduction because he's been here a few times now and I think everybody knows who he is. So James Green, welcome to the show. Alex, thank you for having me on again as always. Now, uh, I wanted to talk to you uh, with this episode about a recent article. Well, it's not so recent anymore, I guess, but, uh, you know, an article you wrote for the fall edition of the Disaster Recovery Journal uh, entitled, I want to get the title right, Is Our Profession at a Crossroads? Now, I know you got a lot of flack for this. So, you know, what made you write the article? Yeah, let's talk about uh, the first hate mail I've received in my career, uh, I never thought I would get hate mail um, in this arena anyways, but very exciting. So yeah, I was, you know, just like all of us this year, um, I've been troubled professionally, I've been troubled personally, but kind of what got me thinking was seeing all these people on on social media signing off, right, in terms of today is going to be my last day at Stone Road, uh, you know, it was great working with everyone, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it really got me thinking, like spinning the wheels late at night uh, when I'm watching, you know, YouTube cat videos of why during the biggest business continuity event of our lifetime, certainly from a global perspective, why are our colleagues getting downsized, getting made redundant, getting let go? And it was, it's been something that I, I struggled with for a while. And I really appreciate uh, John Seals, the editor in chief at DRJ, for giving me a platform on, you know, sharing some thoughts of where I came up with where I think we're, where we're at right now. So, how did DRJ um, actually uh, go about letting you write this, or did you hand it to them written? Because, like you said, you got hate mail. So, it's kind of. Yeah you know, controversial. So I'm surprised that people wanted to touch it. Yeah. So, you know, I I reached out to to John and I said, Hey, I have this idea. And he said, idea sounds interesting. And so I wrote a high level summary and said, is this, do you think I'm going in the right direction? Do you think this is something you guys would want to print? And he said, absolutely. Because, uh, I think he felt, and a lot of people felt, that I was really, it's, it's not uh, criticizing individuals, which I think some people took it as. It's just a way of, I love our profession, and we're all hurting, and, and why is this happening? And it, it wasn't meant to be, Alex, like, there's some industries right now, if, you know, we have colleagues who work in uh, airlines and work in cruise lines. And you have these these industries that their revenues down 90%, 95%. And you have to lay off a ton of people just to, 
to stay alive. It wasn't meant for people like that. But we're seeing other companies where maybe they're they're muddling through or revenue is only down 10, 15%. And why were people like you and me targeted? Why did we end up on that that list? Right. And so that's that's kind of where it, it really went. And it got me starting to think, you know, when you get laid off uh, in an environment, it can be like we said, the airlines or the cruise lines where it's just everybody. Sometimes your boss just doesn't like you. Sometimes uh, it's kind of like a team sport. If you're the highest paid player on the team, guess what? Guess who gets laid off? Uh, but when you kind of cut through all that chatter, what I started to think about, and this is what really upset people, was are we relevant, right? Because when we've all had to make tough decisions or reorganize our team, there's people we're able to keep and there's people we're not able to keep. And for me, the first question it came back to was, are we relevant just in, in, in general? Like has, has COVID-19, has everything that's happened this year, wildfires, civil unrest, has this exposed some issues around relevancy? And I think that more than anything really upset a lot of people, um, me challenging that assertion. It's interesting that a bunch of people would be upset. You know, I, I, before I go too far, I do recall seeing a lot of posts on LinkedIn where people said they were, you know, they were let go. And yeah, I knew a couple of others, you know, um, since then that have also been let go yeah. you know, um, in, in the industry. But it's interesting that some people would, um, you know, put up a fuss, you know, yeah, we're relevant, we're relevant. But yet it's no secret. A lot of times business continuity ends up being put on the back burner. Yeah. With a lot of organizations. Then COVID comes along because we're on the back burner, we were maybe not in the forethought of everybody. You know, we're not at the, the, the focal point of their thoughts. When a people disaster occurred, they're looking at HR. Exactly. Yeah, there's been all kinds of polls recently asking business continuity professionals, do they just plan for events or do they lead them? And that kind of disconnect, I think, is really dangerous for our profession. It's kind of the first thing that I thought of, you know, looking at the landscape, are you, does your program just check the box? Mm. And I think that's where a lot of people have, have had massive um, exposures this year, right? If you were just a business continuity as a compliance function, and then everything that happened in 2020 happened, your check the box program I guarantee did not meet the needs of your business, right? Because- where, where do you think that originates? Does that originate on the audit compliance side or does that originate on our side? Or is a combination of multiple groups not really understanding what they're doing and not communicating properly? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both because prior to 2020, you saw what was the biggest driver that you and I saw for companies to start business continuity. It was either they had an event and they realized they weren't ready. And that was, a, that obviously that pool expanded a lot in 2020, but a lot was they had an audit. I've been in companies where they had audit issues that went to the board said, Hey, you need business continuity. Mm -hmm. So you and I get brought in, our colleagues get brought in. We want to first obviously remediate those audit issues because that is our management's hot button. But then what happens after that, right? If that's all we do is remediate the audit findings, that's a good first start, but that can't be it. And yeah. I think a lot, of, a lot of companies just say, hey, our goal with business continuity was to pass audits. So as long as we're, we're doing that, we're checking the box in that way, then that was good enough. I, I've had that experience. I was brought in with a uh, past colleague to uh, address. They had 10 audit tickets, all to okay. do with business continuity. Exactly. So I have, you know, all I was told to do is get rid of these tickets. So I literally could only address what needed to be addressed to get rid of these tickets. And it wasn't the, what I really wanted to do, 
but then the year was up. We addressed yep. the tickets and okay, but all I did is it's like Swiss cheese. All I did is plug the holes. I it, it's not really what should be here. You know, there's more I want to do, but the contract ended and I had to move on. You know, and it's like, well, you know what? You're going to end up with 10 tickets in another year or two because it's not really what, you know, it's the wrong driver, you know. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the challenges I have with a lot of our industry standards and regulations, right? A lot of people manage to, how do I build my program to be just above whatever that industry standard is so that I don't fail an, an audit? But does that truly make you resilient? Does that truly make you able to respond? A lot, well, I think what we saw in 2020, the answer is no. It didn't. It made you able to not fail an audit. It made you pass that audit. But like you said earlier, remediating an audit issue is completely different than building a robust business continuity program. And so a lot of companies just had that mentality of let's check the box. Let's do just enough where there's no chatter from audit, from compliance, from customers. But then what happened in 2020, right? A lot of companies who had never had to activate their plans, who had never had to think of manual processes or do anything, they all had to do it. And a lot of companies, a lot of CEOs that we, we've spoken to realized hey, check the box isn't good enough. And part of that blame is on management, but part of the blame I think is on us for not continually pushing management, right? You have to, you, as you know, to be an effective uh, business continuity manager, we have to, we are that zealous advocate, that evangelist, and you have to bang that drum every single day, right? Because yeah. out, of, out of sight, out of mind. I live in Florida. Most Florida companies care about BC when there's a hurricane a thousand miles or less away. And the other 360 days, they could care less. You have to bang that drum every day. And it does get tiring, right? I'm not blaming anyone for, you know, like just pushing against the rock, but that's, that's part of what our profession does. You push against that rock every day. Yeah, so. and we're we're not knocking any standards or, or no. guidelines out there, just so everybody understands, because they were all written with uh, you know a, a, something in mind, a different perspective maybe, or a different focus. But there's good in all of them. Yes, uh, you know uh, uh, my my issue is um, a lot of times just sticking with one, and then to your point, you know <clears throat> you end up just meeting the bare minimum. Well, it says yeah. this and this, so that's all I'm going to do. But then your organization or your client, whatever you're doing, you know, needs more than that. But again, on it for a tick box or an audit, it looks as though you're perfectly in sync. Yeah. And standards are challenging too. trying to develop a standard that applies to every business in every industry in every country. That's, that's very difficult. Right. And you've really, like I said, being based in, in Florida where there's hurricanes or where there's snowstorms or typhoons, like those standards have to be different. So the standard should be, okay, here's our base, right? We all have to do at least this, but then we have to build on top of that based on our business, our geography, our risk. And I think that's where a lot of, a lot of companies, you know, got in trouble as they said, well, we've never failed an audit. We meet all the requirements of a standard. And then how do you deal with, pandemic, wildfire, civil unrest, cyber events. There's no standard. All at the same for time. That. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, one of the other points uh, you, you brought up is uh, in your article, uh, knowing the business. Yeah. What did, you, what did you mean by that? So I think um, I'm, I love being a practitioner. I'm glad I've also been a consultant as well to see so many different businesses. And really, I think where we're most successful, a lot of times we get caught, we get brought in to turn around a program. And the first thing I see is not that the person leading the program doesn't know BC or crisis management or DR. It's that they don't fully know the business and what the business does. And I think our goal as risk professionals are to mitigate 
the risk of the business, right? But that means you have to know the business first. You have to really understand, not at a high level, I work at a risk software vendor, right? What does that really mean? Where is our revenue coming from? Where are the true risk to the business that are unique to my business, that are unique to your business? Companies have things that are specific to them. And I think as professionals, we really need to have a better understanding of what the business does, not at a superficial level, not at a BIA process level, but what keeps management up at night? Where are our competitive threats coming from? Where are market risks coming from? Some of those more macro factors and then also, you know, microeconomic factors specific to the business. I, I was going to mention the BIA, but you already did that. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've already come to the end of our first segment. We're talking today with James Green and his article in the Disaster Recovery Journal, the fall 2020 edition. I do recommend everyone read it, by the way. It's called, Is Our Profession at a Crossroads? We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected. And now I'm going to tell everyone one of my tricks, so I'm going to have to come up with something else. But I ask, what do you do? And I find it interesting when I talk to other departments, right, quite often they will say, oh, Folic Inc., we make you know, hockey sticks. And a lot of times when I ask a business continuity profession, what do you do? They immediately jump into, well, we do BIAs, we do plans, right? We do risk assessments. But to go from that bare minimum, we got to start connecting with first the business. How does what we do support the business itself? Mm-hmm. And not just from a compliance function and not just surviving an incident because uh, typically we're called on very rarely. So how are we embedded? How are we integrated with the organization day to day? You know, the, those key people in your business, are you only talking to them once a year to update your BIA and your plan? Or are you embedded? Are you understanding uh, the business itself. And I think you see this in a lot of types of professions that are, you know, maybe based in a shared service organization. You see it with risk. You see it with HR. People know I'm a great risk professional. I'm a great HR professional. But do you know the business? Do you understand really what the business's purpose is and not just mission and value, right? That's very important. But mm-hmm. why are our doors open every day? Are you embedded in that? Do you support that? 
or do you have you pulled yourself into an isolated compliance type function? And so I think that's the first step that we can take to get above the bare minimum. People need to see James uh, not just as the BC guy, but James as the Fulick Inc. guy. Like we have to have a wider view of of you know an organization and how we can support it. Well, I've got some questions for you. We've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking with James Green and his article, Is Our Profession at a Crossroads in the recent DRJ magazine? We'll be right back. For those of you viewing, you'll see us sitting here for about uh, 10 seconds so our radio listeners can hear some commercials and we'll be right back. And we are back. We're talking with James Green today. His article in uh, the DRJ Fall Edition is our profession profession at a crossroads. James, you were talking about um, understanding the business uh, at the end of our first segment. How do we go about learning the business? Do we go to that BIA? You know, how do we do it? You know, there's all comments, uh, all kinds of things uh, to say about that one. But how do we go about learning the business itself? Yeah, so that's a really interesting point you make there, Alex, because I feel we should know more about the business than anyone because of that BIA. If you are someone who does BIAs and you're documenting and understanding all the business processes in the company, what do you do with that information? There's a lot of valuable things we can do outside of business continuity, right? You see where things are disjointed, you see where there's opportunities for efficiency. And do we share that information with management outside of the context of risk management, right? So I have one client who actually did this. They noticed, hey, did, did you know, uh, you know, they're a big multinational global corp, right? And they're like, we have the same process done by different departments in different divisions. They're 100% duplicating effort. And by bringing that to management attention, the company was allowed, they didn't lay off anyone, right? This isn't a doom and gloom story, but they said, okay, Alex's team is going to keep doing that. James's team is going to do something else. They created opportunity for the company. They created efficiency. And I've never understood why we just take the BIA and keep it in the the BC bucket or anything like that. You know, we're we we are in every aspect of an organization as as BC professionals. We work with facilities, we work with HR, we work with legal, we work with operations, and we should do more with that information. There's a lot of things we know. Um, just at an organizational level that I think we need to start sharing and show here's how we support the mission and value of the organization outside of risk management. So how do we get a hold of all these people though? How do we get them on board? Obviously we already have, uh, and we've already talked about it, getting management attention, but, and we'll, we'll move to uh, that shortly in your article, but how do we get all these other people on board to understand it's like, you know, with all these different directors and vice presidents, they may turn around and go, what do you need to know what we do for? You know, as, as long as uh, the people I work with know what we're supposed to do, what, what do you So yeah, this will start to bleed into management, but just again, at the business unit level, do you solve a problem for them? Right. Uh, you can make it self-serving. Hey, so uh, you are Alex, you're the head of our Canadian division. Mm -hmm. Right. And I say, you know, if we have a business continuity incident and we go down, we're going to lose revenue, which leads to loss of customers, which leads to loss of, you know, you're going to have to lay off people, which may lead to a loss of your job. So I really like to approach business continuity of my job is to help your department, group, division, corporation stay in business. So I spin what business continuity is. Because most of us approach people and say, you have to do this BIA, you have to do this plan. Um, and mm -hmm. I don't think we do a good job of explaining what's in it for them. You know, ultimately what's in it for them is uh, if you have, if you and I 
operate different business units and yours is more resilient during a pandemic, fire, earthquake, flood, whatever, than mine, which organization is more profitable, right? Which organization is able to retain customers, employee, brand? And that's kind of how I approach a lot of this is, you know, hey, what's, and I'll even say, you're probably wondering what's in it for for me. And you share that with them. And that's you're exactly getting, what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, you're still getting the work done you need to to do, but you approach it in, you know, <clears throat> one of the things I love and hate about our profession is <clears throat> if you're in charge of BC and all the BIAs and plans, nothing gets done because I refuse to help you as a business unit leader. I don't get in trouble. You get in trouble. Right. So mm-hmm. we need to explain to people when you're working with people who who don't report to you where we have reporting lines that may not cross until the CEO, right? What's in it for me? Why should I sit down with you? Why should I work with you? And we need to, as business continuity professionals, be more proactive of, well, I'm helping you, right? I'm here to support and help your organization. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the uh, you know lines of business sometimes don't even touch until they get to the C level. So, and that's the you know management is part of uh, your article here. Do you want to touch on uh, that piece? Yeah. So, as goes management, so goes the organization, right? And this is a huge driver. And this isn't even about it is about BC. We're going to talk about it, but it doesn't matter where you are in the organization. And, you know, the first thing I see, um, you've probably heard these terms in a lot of organizations. Well, Alex's group is a profit center and I'm a cost center, right? And those Mm -hmm. are really dangerous conversations to have to put yourself in the box of, I cost the company money, right? So we need to be thinking about, we save the company money, And we need to be looking at ROI. You see a lot of other business units and departments have to show their return on investment, either in an actual cash basis or some other basis. And I don't think we do that. We just assume we're exempt from that process. And I don't think we should be. I think we should be showing return on investment and value to management all the time. I think so. Uh, I don't know if you know um, David Lindstedt and Mark Armour of the Adaptive I do. Yes. Uh, Movement, um, but they say the same thing. We have to show value by you know metrics and and things like that that all these other groups do, but for some reason we don't. You know, Correct. So in your view, what what kind of things should we show, and not just by a checkbox, which is the way we seem to be doing it right now. So I think we should, do we solve a problem for management? Do we even know what their problems are? You should answer, you should be able to answer that question for your organization. And frankly, from a career standpoint, we should all be able to answer that question for our immediate boss if we're in an organization. Like, I need to know what my boss's problems are. I need to know what my pain, his pain points, her pain points are. And the same thing for management in general. I need to know that as a BC professional. And I need to know that as James, the person who wants to get promoted. And Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of us think of risk management in that way. And we should. We do solve a lot of problems. Um, and I don't think we tout ourselves in that way. Like what's keeping your boss up at night? Is there a way that we can alleviate that? And I think it goes back to your comment about BIA. If, if you have a large organization and management is concerned about, I don't think I have enough insight into my own organization. We have a lot of that information. Why are we not sharing it? You know, the only metric we typically share is here's a percentage of departments who have updated their plans or done an exercise or done a BIA or whatever. I don't think that solves any problems for management. That's kind of first level data, but I don't think your CXO is sitting up at night going, you know, I wonder how many BIAs have been updated in the last six months. 
we have to take that second step and show how what we do solves a problem for management. So we have to link into other aspects of the organization, not just, I don't want to say work in a silo, but uh, you know, kind of a standalone group. We, we have to branch out. We really do have to be a bridge. We can't just be, or a chain that links everyone together. We can't just be, you know, business continuity who comes around and, you know, Hey, update this, update that, or, you know, and, and you mentioned uh, t- um, testing. Well, there's multiple kinds of tests, you know, did James attend a tabletop? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Meanwhile, that's just talking around a table. What about a full simulation? You know, wh- those kind of things, you know, it doesn't really, add up, so to speak, you know, it it doesn't really come together to show what we're really doing. Yeah. And I think we need to do a better job of explaining why simulations fail over. They're more involved, but what the value is. It's not just to say we did a test. It's for the business to be nimble during a disruption. Mm -hmm. Right. Because really what we've seen Um, over this year, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, when your business or organization is affected by a regional or global event, people understand when it's in the news, when it's something we're all familiar with. But if you and I are competitors and your warehouse burns down and you're in Ontario and maybe you have customers in Colorado and it's not on the news there, they don't care. They could care less. They're like, what do you mean you're not shipping to me? Now I'm going to go find a replacement. So I think we need to do a better job with management of why are we looking to simulate, test, exercise? What is the outcome of mitigating risk, right? Is to keep the business in business. So- is, that, is there also a, a fear because you know we are trying to find gaps in in, in uh, processes and uh, you know our plans and things like that. And from my own experience, I do remember a vice president who got upset when we did find a whole bunch of gaps yep. with this new system that had been implemented, and everybody said everything worked and documents were updated, and we found um, that there were gaps in there and we couldn't get everything up and running. And we thought that was a plus because we looked at it from the perspective as of um, we were in isolation, we found the problem. You would not have wanted to go through this in a live situation because we wouldn't have been able to come up. You know, so this is a good thing. So is there a fear of um, finding gaps that we always have to give the perception that things are rosy, you know, when they could not be? Or is that just a disconnect? We don't know how to communicate that value of what we found. Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly you and I sitting in a room talking about this, it's easy, but in the real world, it's political. And we hear that all mm. the time from clients. We, we can't have you do a DR test. We can't have any of you do this risk assessment, blah, 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 because the business unit leader's going to get upset, right? Yeah. And that's where that interaction with management, if you already have shown value to management, if you solve problems, you know, I always pitched it as a practitioner to like, look, the CEO, I never want to call you at three in the morning and tell you about something you didn't already know. Like I always felt if I was surprising someone with that call, not that there was a fire, but if I was surprising them with an underlying risk, I had failed in my job. So my opinion is always, my goal is I want management because management owns risk, right? And I think that's another problem where we as risk managers think we own the risk, but if we don't have the resources to mitigate risk, management needs to own the risk. So my goal is always to management, hey, I'm going to share with you these risks. You can choose to mitigate them, transfer them, ignore them, whatever you want to do, but that's your decision. So that when we have that next bump in the night that I talked about last time, when we have that 3am phone call, no one will ever say to me, well, geez, James, I didn't know that our fire suppression system wasn't adequate for that warehouse, or I didn't know that 
our windows weren't rated for a tornado or I never want, like, to me, that's the biggest failure in a job is when they said, well, we never thought about that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about a black swan event. I'm talking about known risk that just don't get, you know, bubbled up. And I think when management sees you as a partner, right, when you're solving problems, they are going to be more open to, hey, James, what else? What do I not know? Tell me what else is is going on. And I think that goes back to you and I talked about, you know, being embedded with the organization. Um, If I'm only working with a site 30 minutes a year to fill out a BIA and update a plan, they're going to answer my exact questions. Mm -hmm. But are they going to say, you know, you know what the real problem here is, and that's when you spend time with people, you build trust with people, you create a relationship. That's when they say to you, you know, the thing you should be looking at is the faulty wiring in this building or whatever the thing is. That's when people share things with you of value that, you know, you let's talk about real risk. Because yeah. I always find it interesting how many times after an incident, let's look at the explosion in Beirut right? Mm -hmm. That happened a few months ago. Look at all the things that came out afterwards. How many people knew about that risk? That wasn't a surprise. There wasn't widespread media saying nobody knew how there were people knew, people knew, people knew, but not the right people. Yeah. Right. And that's where we need to work as with management. We need to get those items into decision makers hands. And I think we need to give them better information than if we would have just said, oh, we did a risk assessment on that facility check. You know, we needed to say, this is a catastrophic problem. So. And I think that's a good spot to end our second segment. We are talking today with James Green and his article is our profession at a crossroads. Uh, We'll take a 10 second break here for those viewing. Um, We'll, we'll just be sitting here nice and quiet while radio listeners, uh, you'll get to hear some commercials. We'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. If you are working on your path to enlightenment, may we suggest another guide point to help you get there? It's Soul Healing Conversations with your host, Roz Kincaid. Roz and her guests are making this show a safe place to find balance, healing, and transformation. You'll learn how to manifest the best version of your life. Make sure you join Roz every week for Soul Healing Conversations, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And we are back today. We are talking with James Green, and his article is Our Profession at a Crossroads. James, great uh, first two segments there, lots of information. Um, We've only got uh, about, uh, what, two, three, 
Uh, we've only got about 13 minutes for our last segment because okay. we've, we've been talking so much. So um, we went through uh, checking the box, the business management. And one of the other things you talked about in your article is one size fits all. What did you mean by that? Yeah. So let's go into the section where I got the second most amount of hate mail. <laughs> um, I think one of the, the, the problems with any uh, methodology standard formula is we as business continuity practitioners get trapped in this box of whatever works here is what we're going to do anywhere. Right. And that's really where we get, again, disconnected with the business, with management. Um, what are the needs of the business in terms of business continuity? So if you and I are building resilience for a hospital, right, where if there's a bump in the night, people die versus you and I are building resilience for a print manufacturer that has a 12 month lead time, let's say. Why are we building the same type of program? What are the needs of the organization? Um, and that's just kind of from a framework standpoint, right? Companies that have, if again, we run a data center, a third-party data center, and it goes down, we're out of business. Okay, we have to be bulletproof. If there's loss of life, we have to be bulletproof. You have to push an organization like that to have a world-class business continuity program. Mm -hmm. But if you and I are, are doing some work on the side and there's a, a three-doctor, two-office facility, do they need to have a world-class program, right? I think we need, to, we need to do a better job of, based on the size of the company, based on the industry, adapting our knowledge and expertise to the needs of the business instead of forcing the business into our framework. Um, I have done work for clients that would make other clients cry, right? <laughs> They'd be like, what are you? This is insane, but it works for them. It mitigates risk appropriately for them. So that's how we're going to do it here. And this company over here, that's, that's not how they're going to do it. And then one size fits all to me also means culturally. What is the culture of, of your organization? And does your, your, does your culture of risk fit that? So um, I've talked about this a few times, but it's the best example I know. I have a California-based client. Uh, think of every stereotype of California you want like ping pong tables in the break room, free food, you know, masseuse on site, you name it. Oh yeah. And they're mm -hmm. a very collaborative, mm -hmm. collaborative organization. And they installed for crisis management ICS. So, and then they came to us afterwards and they said, well, why doesn't this work? I said, well, 363 days a year, you are collaborative. And two days a year, Alex is like, I am the incident commander. And this is how it works. You can't have that disjointed of a philosophy. <clears throat> collaborative organizations in blue sky need to be collaborative uh, under threat. A very mm -hmm. top-down, very hierarchical organization needs the same thing in crisis management. So it's very hard when we jump from industry to industry. You know, we've got to fit that the needs of the organization and we've got to fit its culture. And I think we miss on that quite a bit. Does, I guess uh, to use project <clears throat> management uh, Institute terminology, we need to be agile. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's, that's really so important. And that's, you know, we get brought in a lot of times. It's not the technical ability of a team. It's there's a cultural gap. Um, you know, people who come from an audit background and are now trying to co-facilitate things, that's, that's different. And just like you, and I think we understand this on a personal level, we work at different companies as an individual, we recognize they have different cultures, mm -hmm. right? I worked for a company that every Friday at noon, they started drinking beer. And my current company, I would get fired, 
yeah. for that. So we adapt personally, but I think we have an opportunity to adapt professionally as well. How do you decide which uh, aspects to uh, leverage in business continuity um, versus ones that you may not need, you know, uh, you know, to adapt to different client needs? How do you, what's the best way of taking a look and saying, okay, this is the way this company works. I don't, I think I can get away with not doing A, B, and C, you know, but this company I'm working for, I can't do D, E, and F. So it, it goes back to first, what are management's pain points and what does the business do? So as an example, in a manufacturing plant, <clears throat> do we want to do department level BIAs? Probably not. If we're on an assembly line, it's all up or it's all down, right? Um, so just again, understanding management's pain points, understanding the business. Uh, I work for uh, a software uh, and consulting vendor, right? We can all work from home. So that's one methodology. If you and I were doing business continuity for a retail chain, you, you can't work from home. Mm -hmm. So you need to understand the business. You need to understand management's pain point, And that's how we decide what aspects of business continuity, resilience, and crisis management that we're going to use. Okay. And the last point you have in your article <clears throat> is looking backwards. Yeah. So you've uh, heard me talk about this several times. Um, yeah. And so I'm based in Florida, Hurricane Central. Whenever there's a hurricane scare or actual hurricane, the next year, everyone has amazing hurricane plans. The next 12 to 18 months, everyone is going to have incredible pandemic response pandemic, plans. Yeah. We look backwards, right? But in order to stay relevant, the next year, management's not asking about our pandemic plan. Look at all that's happened that you and I have talked about over the last 12 months. Global warming, wildfires, civil unrest, the pandemic. What's the next bump in the night? And mm -hmm. I think we as a profession need to do a better job of looking forward because there's always going to be that next bump in the night. And when you have too much rigidity, when you're disjointed from management, when you're disjointed from the business, that's how things happened. Uh, we've done several webinars where we've, you know, asked polls of business continuity professionals. Have you been involved in your company's response to COVID? And the amount of people saying no is really high. And that's really concerning to me because I think that goes back to how we got here 45 minutes ago. You know, James hasn't been in any of these meetings in this response for the last nine months. What, do, what does he really do here? How is he adding value to yeah. the company? And when you look forward, I think you get to stay in the room, right? You're helping navigate the ship believe it or not our time just flies we've only got like four, four minutes left you know um do you want to take a couple of minutes and give some final thoughts you know on, on your uh, article uh, uh, that you felt at the time that maybe <laughs> you know since then uh, has uh, either changed or you know thoughts grown and yeah so i think we've continued to see so there's a negative and positive. We've continued to see people say, this is my last day at Global Corp. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, sad and frustrating to me. But where I'm excited is we're now seeing more companies invest in our space than ever before. So the last six months, I've spent more time with CEOs and COOs than I ever have, right? Typically the larger the organization, my interactive sponsor, their title gets smaller and smaller and smaller, mm, right? Yeah. And so for a massive organization, I'm probably working with a director or VP. But the last six months, we've been in the room with CEOs, with COOs. They get now why what we do is important. 
And I'm in this industry because I do believe what we do is important. And so we have this incredible opportunity where maybe before your company just saw this as compliance function or theoretical, now now they get it. I've got one client right now, they're dealing with COVID just like we all are. They're also dealing with ransomware. They understand that a fundamental threat to the business. And I think that's our underlying goal as professionals is worst case scenario, do we help the business survive? And now we have that, now we have an opportunity to not only help a business survive, but really thrive uh, as we, as we go forward. Great. Well, James, thanks again for being on the show and and talking about this. And I'm sure uh, you're going to get some uh, emails um, or uh, people will send me notes and that's fine. Yeah, you know, I'll forward them on to uh, James if uh, any do come in, you know, um, but, you know, tell us why, you know, we, yeah, we're in this profession. We all have different experiences. You know, we're all going to have different perceptions, but we're all here for the same reason. Absolutely. You know, and if you, if you get enough of them, we might have to come back and, and discuss them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah certainly I love, you know, I love how passionate our industry is. So hate yeah. mail, you know, fan notes, send them all. Let's, 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 let's talk through them. YouTube comments, whatever you want, you know, feel Thanks. free to leave a message. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, James. And uh, I know we'll be talking to you again. Uh, <laughs> I think we have one more show to uh, record before the holidays. We do. Yes. Yeah. So uh, in the meantime, stay safe where you are because uh, things aren't looking that great uh, in all around right now, unfortunately. That's correct. And to everybody listening and everybody watching, Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.